This is Reflections on Investing with the Cornell Capital Group. Investor Memo, Q1 2023. During the first quarter, the story of both the fixed income and stock market revolved around the ongoing evolution of the yield curve. To review, the yield curve plots the yield on treasury securities as a function of their maturity. The graph below plots the yield curve at the start of the year for the last three years along with the current yield curve. The key starting points are the curves for 2021 and 2022. In both years, the interest rate on short-term treasury bills was nearly zero. At a maturity of 10 years, the yield on treasury bonds is about 1% in 2021 and 1.5% in 2022. By 2023, Federal Reserve policy has led, had led to a dramatic change in the yield curve. Short-term rates had jumped from zero to about 45 to 5%, and the return on the 10-year Treasury bonds had risen to approximately 3.75%, depending on the day in which the yield curve was observed. The dramatic shift in the yield curve had two critical, two critical impacts on banks particularly banks that had large amounts of long-term government securities. First, they faced a choice of paying about 4.5% on deposits or risk losing them. Second, the value of their long-term government bonds, whether recognized for accounting purposes or not, dropped by about 20% on average. This put banks that had large amounts of such bonds at risk. For example, Silicon Valley Bank reported in December 2022, that deposits represented 82% of the bank's liabilities, and over 60% of those deposits were invested in cash or government securities. Aware of the decline in the value of Silicon Valley Bank's government bonds, sophisticated investors rushed to withdraw their money quickly, whether or not the bank paid a competitive rate on deposits for fear that the market value of the assets was insufficient to cover all the deposits. Because those investors were correct, the drop in the value of the bonds rendered the bank insolvent on a mark-to-market basis, and the regulators were forced to seize the bank. The resulting fear that such problems could be more widespread led to a sharp drop in the stock prices of most banks and a collapse in the stock prices of banks deemed most at risk, such as Silicon Valley, and First Republic. The bank panic, in turn, led to a decline in the overall stock market. It is not hard to lay much of the blame for this fiasco at the foot of the Federal Reserve and the federal government. In 2020 and 2021, the government ran deficits averaging close to $3 trillion. Prior to that, the largest deficit ever recorded was less than $1.5 trillion. The Fed responded to the deficits with record purchase of government securities. Between the end of 2019 and the end of 2022, the Fed's holdings of securities increased by $4.4 trillion. With such government borrowing and monetary excess, it seemed hard to believe that inflation was not just around the corner, and that fighting that inflation would require a dramatic shift in Federal Reserve policy toward higher short-term interest rates and tighter monetary policy. Nonetheless, the banks that are in trouble played a major role in their own demise. As we repeated, beginning in 2020 and continuing through 2022, 
Investing in long-term government securities offered low returns and entailed significant risk in the form of rising inflation and the Federal Reserve response to that inflation. For instance, in August 2021, our Reflections on Investing episode focused on the 10-year Treasury bond and warned that the yield was too meager to justify the risk. We reiterated that theme in a more general Reflections episode on fixed income. And we were hardly alone. Larry Summers was beating the drum about the risk of rising inflation throughout much of that period. We stressed that these were risks, not certain outcomes. No one knew what was going to happen. For instance, during much of the period, the Fed was claiming that inflation was transitory. But it is precisely such risks that banks must manage. While the Federal Reserve and the Treasury may have lit the fire, the fact that the house burned down at some banks was due to lack of a fire department. Also in the first quarter, retail trading of options continued to rise. Option volume has now more than doubled since 2018. Furthermore, The Economist reported that retail investors now account for about half of U.S. option trading. In addition, retail investors have tended to focus on trading short-dated, even so-called zero-date expiration options, which mature at the end of the trading day. These are speculative lottery-like securities with a lure of a big percentage payday in a short period of time, much like a casino. How does this affect the Cornell Capital Group, given our use of options to manage risk and increase income? Basically, not at all. We are not option traders, we are hedgers. We do not trade zero-day options. We take our positions based on long-term fundamental analysis and hold them until we feel conditions have changed or the options mature. If anything, we might get a slight benefit from the growing options trading mania because it increases the liquidity of the market, allowing us to get better spreads when we do trade. In some cases, it may also allow us to get better prices if short-term options trading based mainly on sentiment and momentum, drive prices away from long-term fundamental value. Recall that when assessing the level of the stock market, our starting point is the, is the approach we described in an earlier video on valuing the S&P 500. In our year-end 2022 memo, we noted that our estimate of the fundamental value for the S&P 500 index a year-end came to approximately 3,800, not far from the closing market price of 38.39. In the first quarter of 2023, the index rose to 41.09, an increase of 7%. In our view, little has changed from a fundamental perspective during the first quarter, with the possible exception of new risks to the banking system. It is hard for us to rationalize the run-up in prices. As a result, we believe the market is slightly overpriced, but within the range of reasonable estimation error. It is not a time for taking speculative positions. However, this does not mean that there are no stocks that offer attractive opportunities. Using our proprietary discounted cash flow valuation models, we are evaluating a number of companies that appear promising. But it does mean that we will continue to proceed with caution. Periodically, stock market concentration has attracted the attention of investors. Now should be one of those times. Exhibit 3 presents both the market capitalization of the five largest companies in the S&P 500 and their fraction of the total capitalization of the index. 
The exhibit shows that the market is significantly more concentrated than it was at the height of the dot-com bubble. Since 2010, the concentration ratio for the top five companies has more than doubled. In addition, the company with the highest market cap in 2023, Apple, had an equity value more than seven and a half times higher than ExxonMobil had in 2010, when it was the index leader. Together, Apple and Microsoft had a market cap in excess of $4.5 trillion and accounted for 13.69% of the index at the start of 2023. Their combined market cap exceeded the total market cap of the last 266 companies in the index. The market concentration is not necessarily a bad thing, especially when the market is going up. Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, and Amazon are all remarkable companies. However, they are not infallible or immune to competition. If market dynamics change and these companies face increased economic headwinds, they could have an outsized negative influence on the entire market. With many investors crowded into a handful of companies, if they all wanted to get out at the same time, the drop could be sharp and fast. Furthermore, for passive investors invested in the market index, they might be a lot less diversified than they think, especially when the concentration is based on one sector. As investors, there's another thing that bo bothers us about the valuations of leading American tech companies. They're priced if they're world leaders, and thus far they have been. But there may be cracks in the armor. As one example, on March 27, 2023, the Wall Street Journal reported that the top four hottest apps in the United States were developed in China. Seven-month-old seven Temu was the most downloaded, downloaded app across the U.S. app stores during the first three weeks of March. It was followed by CapCut, TikTok, and Shane. Chinese venture capitalist investor Fang Lu offered an explanation for China's emerging dominance, noting that in China, everybody works on improving their craft, stitch by stitch. The companies are backed by China's vast pool of tech talent. More than half of Temu's workforce are engineers striving to improve the product. We are concerned that American tech companies will be facing increasingly stiff competition, and we will be taking that into consideration in our investment decision making. We ended our Q4 2022 memo by citing Warren Buffett's first rule of investing, don't lose money. The rule is just as applicable today. In our view, valuations remain on the high side, so we will have to look carefully to find companies trading below their fundamental value. We'll also plan to make continued use of options to both hedge and to increase income in situations where our analysis implies it improves the risk return trade-off. Thank you. For more information, please visit www.cornell-capital.com. This podcast is being made available educational purposes only should not be used for any other purpose. The information contained herein does not constitute and should not be construed as an offering of advisory services or an offer to sell or solicitation to buy any securities or related financial instruments in any jurisdiction.